Hello, 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 and welcome to the first taste reading series on the Day Beautiful podcast feed. I'm Adam Fitcavage, and on this version of the podcast, I invite a writer to read from their debut book so readers can get a first taste of exactly what they're in for. If you like what you hear here, check us out on daybeautiful.net and on all social media at daybeautiful. Today's guest is a writer and educator from Dallas. He has received his MFA in creative writing from the University of Alaska Fairbanks, where he served as the editor-in-chief of Permafrost Magazine. And his own work has been published in Reed Magazine, Hayden's Fairy Review, Witness Magazine, Tahoma Literary Review, The Rumpus, and among others. His debut collection of essays, Holy American Burnout, is available now. Please welcome Sean Enfield. Hey, Sean, how you doing today? I'm doing good. How about yourself? I am doing fabulous. I'm so excited to talk to you uh, behind the scenes. I had to reschedule numerous times because of my inability to schedule things correctly. Um, and, and the first time you were sick, and I, I was actually sick that day yeah. too, so it kind of worked out. I was like, I'm going to take some laws and <laughs> hope that it works out. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, no, I'm glad we're able to make this happen. Your book, uh, essay collection, Holy American Burnout, has been out for a few months by the time this podcast came out, but I would love to hear from your perspective uh, what readers can expect. I would love to hear what readers can expect. What is it all about? Yeah, um, yeah. So it's a semi-linked uh, essay collection. You know, kind of there's a through narrative there that's kind of centered on uh, my first year of teaching, um, which I did at this predominantly Muslim preparatory school um, in North Texas, where I was born and raised um, back in 2015, 2016. Um, which, as you'll remember, was the beginning of the, you know, first Trump campaign. We're on campaign number three now, <laughs> um, right? Back when he was first getting off the ground with his uh, hate speech and hate rhetoric, uh, which Islamophobia centered um, pretty predominantly in, right? And so these essays, in a large part, are me kind of going back into those classrooms and kind of investigating, you know, both the the, the stories within them and also the kind of like political discourse that was kind of circulating around that classroom that I was trying to deal with in real time, but not necessarily like intellectualizing the way that I'm doing so much doing so in these essays. Um, and so ostensibly yeah, the book is kind of about, you know, it's the first essay takes place, you know, my first couple of days in the classroom around this first lesson plan I was developing um, in which I was taking Kendrick Lamar's album to Pimp a Butterfly and comparing it to a, uh, the assigned reading that, that was given to me, the To Kill a Mockingbird, um, and kind of goes all the way to the end where I'm getting ready for the second year. So yeah, it's about teaching education, but it's not just about like me as a teacher. I think there's other essays in there about, um, you know, my own upbringing, my own childhood, my own experiences in classrooms, right? So like, and my own learning and, you know, not just not the classroom, but also like um, in church and also in like hardcore pits, hardcore mosh pits, right? Mm -hmm. You know, which I think is also pivotal moments in, um, at least my own personal education, um, for better and and for worse, maybe. Um, but uh, yeah, I try to use these essays as like vehicles to take those ideas around teaching education in the classroom and to kind of pose these like larger questions about, you know, society and politics mm -hmm. and that nature, which I think, you know, we can see all the time. I mean, even just like with this current election cycle, the way that like teaching gets brought into these discourses whether or not we want to you know say that it does or not right but with the ideas around race and identity and politics right all of these things get brought into the classroom or the classroom gets brought into them you know whether or not we're prepared for that 
And so it made sense to me to kind of go back to this experience and to use this experience to kind of tackle that narrative, right? And tackle those questions. And um, yeah, so I think, I hope in these essays, there's a kind of, that readers will find, you know, it's a, it's a book that's in, in large part about failure and my own personal failures and like the failures of the systems in which I was working, which we're all working, right? Systems that are expected, that we're expected to kind of learn and grow in like a school, right? But it's not as necessarily designed for us to do that in a way that um, protects our mental and physical well-being, right? That's kind of where the burnout of the title comes in. Mm -hmm. But also I hope that it's not just like wallowing in failure. I hope there is a kind of like searching for grace in those failures, you know, grace that it's not necessarily all on us as the individuals, but also grace in that there is, you know, opportunities to move forward from these things that seem to have knocked us down to a point that we couldn't have gotten up, gotten up from. I think, yeah. I hope that's what people find in it. Definitely. No, I connected with it a lot because I briefly was a teacher, um, very bad at it, but, uh, same. <laughs> well, yeah, probably. Yeah. I think every teacher is bad until yeah, like year 10. Every first yes, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, but what essay will you be reading for or part of today? Yeah, I think I'm going to read. No, I will read. I don't know why I keep saying I think. I will <laughs> read from the, I'm going to read from the last essay of the book, uh, just kind of as an act of like conjuring. I don't know. The last essay is kind of about me waiting on the next school year or getting ready for the second next school year while also waiting for um, the release of Frank Ocean's second album, which was a very strange album cycle with lots of different mm -hmm. releases that were speculated on, never given by the artist. Um, that just kind of came and went while he like live streamed himself woodworking in a, a warehouse. Um, yeah. And so as I've been waiting for the release of this book, he's like been active again on his social medias and I'm on all the subreddits. Cause I, I, I don't know yeah. if the, it's a fandom that's built on like a gluttony for self-flagellation and disappointment. <laughs> um, and so now everybody they'll take whatever he puts on his Instagram. So I'm like, does this mean an album's coming? Is this <laughs> picture on this thing? You know, does that mean music's coming? So I find it fun that this kind of like, come full circle in that way so i'm going to read from the end there definitely well take it away uh so this is from the essay where were you when frank ocean returned um i will not be answering that question in this section of the essay not a damn one of my students passed their standardized test in english well maybe one squeaked by one out of the eight middle school boys i had been charged with educating when i started at the private school i had assumed that i'd be free from the burden of standardized tests and yet that may i sat in silence while my students bubbled in answers to a test they'd all, mostly, maybe, fail. Near the end of the school year, I met with the principal and she slid a stack of answer sheets, bleeding with red ink across the desk to me. This is unacceptable, she said. In all my years as a student, I hadn't been sent to the principal's office, but now, as a teacher, I was finally in trouble. I sat nervously in my seat, suddenly aware of how my clothes clung to my skin, red radiating off the thin stack of scantrons, I knew I had finally been immolated by the ever-grinding year. I sank deeper into my seat, a pile of ash before the flame. Outside, I imagined the students ooing and pointing and snickering and speculating about what it was I had done. I glanced up at the monitors lined in her office, and I could see how empty the school was, save for her own children dribbling a soccer ball down the hallway. And yet still I heard the students' collective snicker in the back of my mind. Indeed, I felt the way I'm sure my students felt whenever they were in trouble. I gazed down at the desk, unable to look my boss in the eye. We can't publish these scores. We can't use these, she said. We have to fix this next year. 
I rambled on about how I'd look over the test, draft practice versions of it, and make little exercises that I could sprinkle through the curriculum to improve their test readiness. I said whatever came to mind, whatever sounded reasonable and actionable as I shuffled those dreaded answer sheets. She nodded as I spoke, perhaps trying to find my eyes. All year long, I had felt at various times like a failure. Now, with these scores, the proof was in the proverbial pudding. I was a bad teacher. Next year's got to be better, she told me. She did not mention the potential of me being fired, though I felt it in the subtext. Still, I believed that I could demonstrate my growth during the summer school classes I was already slotted to teach. I dragged myself out of her office as if I were lugging trash to dump upon a heaping pile. Burnout, yes, but is that not the foundation for the Phoenix? As I left her office, her oldest kid in the school passed me a soccer ball and I passed it back. I explained that I had a lot of work to do and he left me to it in his own way, meaning he dribbled the ball around my classroom while I worked. Frank was my salve for bad days. At that time, there was only one album, one mixtape, an unofficial collection of demos and B-sides in his discography. And while I still had enough music to take refuge in, I wanted, no, I needed more from Frank. That May, Malay, the producer of Frank's, told Pitchfork that he would release the album when he's ready. Could be tomorrow, he said. Well, not tomorrow, but maybe a month. I didn't know when Frank would be ready, but I was ready. Often, I would find myself turning to the reclusive musical sage for guidance. The, the principal's oldest son mocked me for the sad sack music I used to soundtrack my failures. He spent many afternoons waiting on his mom in my classroom, doing homework, he'd tell her, or studying, but mostly just questioning me while I caught up on grading. Even with my headphones in and the open door letting in the noise from other kids staying late, I could hear him juggle the soccer ball, and he could likely hear the soft reverberations of the music escaping my headphones. Why do you always listen to that sad black guy music, he'd say. And I'd threaten him with a detention or a writing assignment or whatever to remind him of the teacher-student dynamic he sometimes forgot about. That day, I just put in my headphones. What are you working on anyway? Lessons for next year, I said, pulling out an earbud. But this year's not even over yet, dummy. For next school year, I mean. But that's not over yet either, dummy. Always, our conversations would shift into these aimless, semantic digressions if I entertained a question of his, and I usually did. That day, still reeling from my first ever visit to the principal's office, I returned the headphone to my ear, and damn it, isn't it always a little defeating or, say, challenging when the child's viewpoint actually makes sense? Any moment this could go, Frank sings a Nostalgia Ultra second track. When I heard that line in my classroom facing, if not physical, then at least possible professional death, I could not see the future for the computer screen before me, and I longed for the time when I had romanticized the young Tyler the Creator's fuck school mantra. I wanted so badly to succeed, but feared the time required to do so. And so I became paralyzed by the waiting, hoping instead for new music, something entirely out of my control. I sat worrying for some time, the music softening the worries or maybe enabling them. How angsty I'd become since returning to middle school. Second puberty, indeed. Eventually, I removed the headphones and asked my student if he wanted to shoot some hoops outside instead. He, as yet unburdened by the passing of time, obliged. Thank you. Thank you so much to Sean from reading from his debut essay collection, Holy American Burnout. You can find him on the internet at seananbeal.com, on Twitter and Instagram at seanseanclan, and you can find Daybeautiful at daybeautiful.net, and follow us on social media at daybeautiful. And as always, I'm Adam, this is Daybeautiful, and you're all beautiful. Beautiful.